Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Terrorism, hoax or too real? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. And um, have I got some stories for you. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be talking to you today about three different stories, uh, all on a line, like a... um, not exactly a timeline, but a line of extremes, one extreme to the other. We're going to be starting off with the extreme of the shocking numbers of people who believe that terrorism or terror attacks are hoaxes. Then we're going to talk about an attack that just happened in Belgium, uh, a knife attack on two Belgian policemen. And um, that will illustrate why people believe that terrorism is a hoax and don't trust the media and authorities to tell them the truth. And then last but not least, this is a story I've wanted to bring bring to you for a long time. It fits perfectly with these other two. The third story is a tragic story of a young woman who was at the airport in Zaventem in Brussels during the 2016 terror attacks. And um, she wasn't injured physically, but she was injured psychologically. And she was uh, recently um, put, she asked for euthanasia, and they uh, gave it to her. (laughs) And we'll talk about that. It makes me really angry. She was only 23 years old when they put her to death. Um, And she wanted this. Uh, she wanted to be euthanized because her experience of terrorism was too real. So that is the uh, extremes that we're going to, starting at one, starting at one where it's people think believe it's a hoax, and starting and getting to the end where it is too real. So let's start with the hoax. These um, numbers are rather surprising and perhaps uh, and and a bit. Um, disturbing. Um, the this study was just done in October, you know, this past month, um, in the UK, and the uh, percentages that I'm going to tell you about the results are would probably be more or less the same in America. 
So what they did was they polled over about 4,500 people, people who were over 18 in the UK, and they asked them about certain um, attacks and certain uh, terror attacks and certain things that happened um, in the UK and asked them about whether they thought it was, how true they thought that it was. So, for example, they asked about the Manchester uh, terror attack. And let me just give you a quick, a quick reminder of that. That was um, an attack on May 22nd in 2017 that was um, committed by an Islamist extremist. It was a suicide. He was a suicide bomber. And he made a shrapnel-laden homemade bomb. This was at the concert of Ariana Grande. And as the people were coming out, he uh, detonated his suicide bomb. And he died, of course, as well as um, 22 other people. And uh, 1,017 were injured. And... um and many more of them suffered psychological trauma. Now, the bomber was a man named Salman Ram- Ramadan Abidi. He was 22 years old. Uh, he had grown up in Manchester, and he was from Libya, Libya. And he acted alone, but others were aware of his plans, notably his brother, who was in Libya at the time, but they were communicating by phone. And uh, finally, they were able to bring him back to England and... And in March 2020, he was sentenced to life in prison. His name was Hashem Abidi, and he was found guilty of 22 counts of murder and attempted murder and so on. So um, this was the first suicide bombing in the UK since the July 7, 2005 London bombings, the 7-7. Now, I um, did podcasts on this um, when the... When the Manchester um, concert bombing happened, so again, that's May 2017, if you want to look back into the podcast uh, archives and find that. And I also did a podcast about the brother um, around the time that he was brought back to the UK, which I guess would have been around 2019 or so. Um So that was the attack. You know, it certainly made news all over the world. Ariana Grande has not gotten over it. Um, You know, uh, she wasn't injured physically, but certainly it was traumatic because it was at her um, concert. So, okay, so one of the questions that they asked in this poll was, the Manchester attack involved, uh, this is, they asked whether people believed that this was definitely or probably true, that the Manchester attack involved crisis actors who pretended to be injured or killed. People weren't really injured or killed. So they asked people in this poll, do you believe this? Do you believe, in other words, that it was a fake, that it was a hoax, that people really weren't killed? Um, And that it... So, okay, so now... Uh, this is the percentage of people who um, thought that this was true, that basically it was a hoax. Overall, 14% of the people that they polled thought that it was a hoax. But what's particularly interesting is how this breaks down 
because there's a big difference depending upon whether people get their news from um, the app, the Telegram app, that caused the biggest number of people to believe it was a hoax. 44% of people who get their news from the Telegram app thought that the Manchester concert attack was a hoax. Then next comes TikTok. 32% of people who get their news from TikTok thought it was a hoax. Podcasts, not mine, (laughs) 30% of people who get their news from podcasts thought it was a hoax. 29% who get their news from Instagram. Um, Then 28% who get their news from Twitter thought it was a hoax. 26% of people who um, uh, get their news from YouTube thought it was a hoax. 23% from Facebook. Now, then we have a different category. Family and friends. Only 17% of people who, well, I shouldn't say only, because that's still more than the general population, the general average of all of this, which was 14%. But anyway, 17% of people who get their news from family and friends thought it was a hoax. Then we go down to newspapers and magazines and TV and radio. So now we're talking here about the mainstream media. So this is why you would have a a smaller number than compared to, let's say, the Telegram app or TikTok, a smaller number of people who listen to the mainstream media get their news from the mainstream media thought it was a hoax. So 16% who get their news from newspapers and magazines and 13% from TV and radio. Now, um, I'm going to give you some more information about the poll, but I want to tell you that... um, it was not a hoax. <laughs> and I say this not from just getting my news from any of these places, um, but from being there, not at the concert myself, but um, shortly after the concert, when my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, won an award from um, the London Book Festival, um, I went to London and I went to Manchester also and I donated my book, um, Lines of Tigers and Terror, so my How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. I donated my book um, to libraries and so on, including the Manchester Library. And I spoke with people in Manchester. And, um, you know, it, it was real. I, I also did uh, book signing and reading in a Manchester um, bookshop. So, you know, and talked with the people. I can promise you that it was real, that the Manchester terror attack was a real attack. And in fact, obviously, if the two brothers who perpetrated the attack, you know, if, well, the one died, <laughs> the suicide bomber died, but the other one was um, was uh, sentenced to life in prison, obviously the court system in um in Manchester and the UK believed that this was true. Of course, in these, in this, um, in this poll, you know, another finding that I'm going to tell you about is that there is a lack of belief uh, or trust in um, in in all authorities, like in the police, and in, you know, it's so um, so that is the problem. Um, now, let me tell you some other examples. Um, the The um, so 80% of the people 
believe that serious terrorist attacks have taken place in the UK. Uh, 35% say they don't think the official story was the whole truth. 19% say they think the victims of terror attacks in the UK are not being truthful about what happened to them. Now, that's attacks in general, not just the Manchester attack. Now, then they asked, um, no, then we have 13% of the people think that the 7-7 attacks in London were a hoax. Now, I can tell you that that wasn't a hoax either, because um, my first book on terrorism, uh, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, was published by a London publisher and came out on the one-year anniversary of 7-7, and I was very involved at the cemetery with the uh, the memorials, and I interviewed people who were families of the victims of the 7-7 attack, um, and, you know, did various media appearances on the one-year anniversary and so on. And, I mean, I spoke with, with tons of people before and after the book came out. And so um, it was true. Then um, when it, when they asked people about whether they think information about these various attacks, the different, you know, Manchester, London, 7-7, etc., um, 26% said that it's definitely or probably true that the mainstream media and government officials are involved in a conspiracy to cover up important information about the Manchester attack. And then 29% similarly thought that the real truth about the 7-7 attack in London is being kept from the public. Now, I tend to agree that we have not gotten the whole truth, but it was not a hoax, it was real terrorists. Um, then, oh, then, uh, in the UK, 24% say that it's definitely or probably true that people in the US government either assisted in the 9-11 attacks or took no action to stop them because they wanted the US to go to war in the Middle East. Again, that, that is not true. Um, I certainly, I certainly have done enough in regard to 9-11 to know that that is not true. Men, here, get this. It breaks down by gender. Men um, are twice as likely as women to say that um, these things are hoaxes. 17% um, compared to 8% and 23% compared to 15%. And, uh, oh, but here's, but this is um, particularly interesting. This is so true in, the, in America as well that um, there's distrust about the role of the UK government in terror attacks. It, it, there is a belief that this distrust worsened due to the pandemic, due to the experience of the pandemic. And that certainly is true in America as well, because we believe that we were, well, we were. <laughs> we believe we were lied to about the pandemic because we were lied to about the pandemic and about the vaccines and everything else. Um, and so um, that has made the these percentages go up, the distrust go up. And um and in general, after the experience of COVID and what, what we were told in, about COVID that wasn't true has made people all over, well, at least in America and the UK, more um suspicious of the government, official explanations. Um all right. Uh, let me see. So why? Now, it's not necessarily uh, clear 
whether social media caused this increase in the belief about hoaxes or whether it, or whether it, or whether social media attracted people who were already susceptible to believing hoaxes. Now, so why is this true? Well, one, of course, we just were mentioning about COVID, you know, that has caused distrust about not just about terrorism, but about everything. Um, you know, if, if the government could lie to us um, about about the pandemic and about um, vaccines and so on, certainly they could lie to us about anything, not just terror attacks. Um, but part of this also is, in regard to terrorism, part of this is also denial, because people don't want to believe that there are terrorists out there still wanting to hurt us, kill us, take over the West. And... Um, and also, we have become more cynical, and that certainly is a result of um, the lies that the government and Fauci and similar people gave us about the pandemic. Well, when we come back, I will now talk to you about the second story, which is the um, the terror attack that just happened um, last week in Belgium, uh, the knifing of Belgian police officers. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about terrorism, Hoax or too real? Well, that was one extreme. Uh, we just heard about the pretty shocking numbers of people who believe that different terrorist events are, are hoaxes or that people, the actual victims, are lying about being victims um, and that these events never really happened. Anyhow, now we are getting to the reason why this, these uh, figures are so high. This is an example in any case. And this is a story of um, the knifing of two police officers in Brussels. And um, yeah, this, this, look at the, uh, listen to this title of the, a story about this in the New York Times. Now, we know that the Times in general, <laughs> part of the, a, an important part, or what should I say, a um, a significant part, by, I don't mean by important that we should believe everything that time says, um, but, you know, it's a significant, people, people relied, have relied on the times. I mean, I was born and bred in New York City, and I certainly, uh, that was my go-to newspaper. Um, and over the years, however, it has become clear that, um, they're not really, um, they have a certain slant. It's just like, you know, just like lots of media, um, journalists these days are having slants instead of presenting equal parts of the story. But anyway, so here, so the New York Times, um, just like the BBC, for example, in the UK, um, there's, they, they, perp and, and actually most of the mainstream media tries to downplay 
terrorism and terror attacks, which is why the people in these polls that I just read to you, um, why the lowest numbers of the people who believe that these things are hoaxes, that these attacks are hoaxes, the lowest number of people who believe that, they, that they're hoaxes are the people who get their news from the mainstream media. So the, here's the title of the story in the New York Times about the these two police officers. Killing a Belgian police officer may have been terrorism, officials say. Now, you know, this is one of the things, and I've talked about this before on podcasts, that about how irritating it is that when attacks happen, whether they're in the U.S. or in Europe or wherever they are, um, that the both the police and other so-called authorities and certainly the media wait forever and ever, you know, try not to call it terrorism. Um, you know, and wait forever and ever and try to cover up if there are pictures, try not to take pictures of the terrorist <laughs> because, you know, to try to avoid people jumping to the conclusions um, that just because this man looks like a, uh, he comes from a terrorist country or might be um, a terrorist, you know, we shouldn't jump to those conclusions. So, um, so here, you know, it's, it's like both a, a combination of the New York Times uh, damping down reports of terrorism and the Belgian police. So now this man, um, who was um, who was the knifer, who was the attacker, uh, has been on the government's watch list. They never like to admit that either. You know that they missed it. <laughs> um, he perpetrated a knife attack on two police officers. One of them died. Um, they are they were treating the assault as a possible terrorist attack um, now Belgium actually uh is the seat of um perpetrators of a lot of terror attacks um for notably you know the worst was the terrorist attack in Paris in twenty fifteen and they this attack in Paris was organized by terrorists living in Belgium. And um, of, and also, as I'm going to t- talk to you about in the next uh, segment, it was the attackers were also the ones, the, the, the attackers of the airport attack, the 2016 terrorist attacks in Belgium, were also living in Belgium. So, and as you may remember, if you listen to all my podcasts, I went to medical school in Belgium, and not in, in Brussels, but in Louvain. And I always tell the story about how when I would go from Louvain to um, to Brussels, we passed a part of um, Belgium that um, turns out to be, um, I mean, of course, I went to medical school before 9-11, but it passed um, some neighborhoods, the train passed some neighborhoods in Belgium, on the way to Brussels, that were always very dark. I mean, they were literally dark because there were lots of houses crowded in the streets. Um, and uh, But it, there was just a sense of evil that I got. It always made me uncomfortable when the train stopped in uh, Molenbeek was one of them. And, um, and that turns out to be the place where the terrorists came from who planned and perpetrated the Paris attack and the Belgian attacks that I'm going to tell you about. So now, okay, so here's um, 
you know, you wonder why people don't believe in terrorism when they get their news from the mainstream media. Um, so this, the, the, the officers were patrolling a central area of Brussels. Uh, the two of them were in a car with, together. They were patrolling this area and they stopped at a red light and they were attacked by a man who stabbed both of them. Now, the assailant shouted Allahu Akbar, meaning, of course, God is great in Arabic. And, um, if I, fortunately, there was a, um, another police patrol nearby. And so the perpetrator of this knifing attack was shot by a different policeman. And he, the perpetrator is going to be questioned as soon as his condition allows it. But like here it is, and this happens time and time again. The, the attacker yells, Allahu Akbar, and they're still saying, it may be a terror attack. Really? Do you know anybody who <laughs> attacks, has any kind of an attack, whether it's a knife attack, a car attack, uh, a bomb, and yells, Allahu Akbar, when it's not a terrorist attack? I haven't come across that. So there's a man, the, one of the, uh, the, the officer who died was named Thomas M. He was 29. He died in the hospital after, uh, um, he was wounded, he was knifed in the neck, which is, um, which is what is mentioned in the Quran about, uh, uh, knife the infidels in their neck. Words to that effect. And then the second officer, Jason T., who was 23, underwent surgery. He was stabbed in the arm. And he is out of the woods as far as um, he's going to survive. Um, now, it comes at a time when Belgium is getting ready to have a trial about the 2016 terrorist attacks in Brussels um, that killed 32 people and left hundreds injured and so on. And um, I'm going to be telling you about in the next segment when I talk about the woman who asked to be euthanized. So now, here's this. The street where the knife attack took place against these two policemen is less than a mile from the Molenbeek neighborhood where the terrorists came from who planned the 2015 attacks in Paris and the 2016 attacks in Brussels. Gee, what a surprise. So the suspect in this attack is named Yassine M., a 32-year-old Belgian citizen born in Brussels, and he already had served six years in prison for crimes other than terrorism, and he was released in 2019. So most likely he was radicalized in prison if he hadn't already been radicalized. And he was being monitored by the security services, but I guess they weren't paying close enough attention. The police trade union in Belgium, of course, is very angry, and they... um he, that because this this attacker, um, good old Yassin, told the police earlier that he was planning an attack. Quote, this is what the police trade union posted on Facebook. Quote, but justice did not consider it necessary to arrest him. Shame, 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 shame. Um, so, in the next segment, I'm going to be telling you about... Um, about um, the young woman who uh, was so, again, not she was collateral damage. She was um, not physically injured in the airport bombing of 2016. She was so psychologically injured, however, 
that um, she preferred to die rather than to live with the psychological pain. Now, I am going to um, tell you that um, there is no reason for that, you know, um, and it is clear that she did not get good treatment. And I hate to say that because I just told you I... I uh, went to medical school in Belgium, so I hate to say anything bad about any Belgian doctors, but this was a major mistake. I mean, this kind of thing is happening in America as well, not not euthanasia, but um, the 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 fall of um, the psychiatric psychiatric treatment um, has gone to hell in a handbasket in America as well. So, all right, when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a woman named Shanti DeCourt, uh, 23 years old. She was 17 when she narrowly escaped the Brussels terror attacks of 2016. And um, and I will tell you about the sad story about her being euthanized when we come back. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about terrorism, hoax or too real. So we started with hoax we went to the reason why so many people think it's a hoax, <laughs> and now we're getting to the too real part. Um, before I tell you about the woman, let me just give you a quick, uh, a quick reminder, refresher, about what happened during this attack in 2016, the Brussels bombings. Um, there were two places where the bombings took place, one right after the other, and the perpetrators of these attacks uh, came from the same terrorist cell that was involved in the November 2015 Paris attacks and all from this general area in, um, in, uh, in, in Brussels, on the way to Brussels. There's actually another area that the train passed as well, Malbeek. So it was Molenbeek and Malbeek. And those were the two places where I would get chills, literally. When we and I would go fairly often from Louvain to Brussels, and um, and I would get chills every time we passed these areas on the way, um, you know, and and the people that got on and off, um, they gave me the chills as well, and and again, this was uh, I'll just say it was before 9/11, and uh, and so I had no. You know, I really didn't know very much about terrorism when I was going to medical school. I was not thinking about terrorism. I was thinking about <laughs> surviving medical school in French uh, in Belgium. So, um, so the this attack. Um, so first, it was first it occurred at the airport, <clears throat> and. Um, Let's see. The the timeline of the attack um, is that at 7:55 in the morning, the three suspects uh, arrived at the airport in a taxi, 
Then at 7.58, two explosions occurred in the airport's check-in area, nine seconds apart. Then at 8.20, in the this is all, of course, in the morning, um, the, they, halted, they halted rail transport to the airport, and they, made, they put road closures on. And then 9.04 a.m., Belgium raises the terror threat level to its highest level. 9.11 a.m. is when the explosion took place in the metro station in Malbeek, and it killed at least 20 people. Um, all in all, there were 32 victims uh, and three perpetrators who died. Three of the uh, suicide bombers died, and uh, two of them survived. So... Um, so the suicide bombers came to the airport, and, and you may well have seen the video footage. You know, there were video cameras in the airport, and the bombers didn't care because they figured they were going to die in their, when they blew up their suicide vest, except the third one didn't blow up his suicide vest. <laughs> he chickened out. Um, I mean, it's said that it's because there was there, were, there have been excuses, but basically he chickened out. Um, and now he's going to be on trial. <laughs> Uh, so they they uh, exploded the they brought in large the bombs in the large suit in large suitcases and um, uh, and they detonated them and um, they, and they were connected in various ways to the not only living in the same neighborhood but there were connections some were related and so on or they knew them as ch- in childhood uh, to the ones who attacked in Paris. I also have done a bunch of podcasts on the Paris attacks because, uh, and I went to Paris um, after the attacks and um, went to the concert hall um, where uh, the most devastating attack occurred. I had to, uh, I went to, to a concert, actually. Uh, I wanted to experience what it would be like, what it was like for people who were sitting there watching a concert when all of a sudden people came in, the the uh, terrorists came in and attacked them. And um, it was it was very dark in there. And it was like um, shooting, what is it, shooting some things in a barrel. Um, shooting fish in a barrel, I couldn't remember that saying. Um, shooting fish in a barrel because it was a very small theater and uh, there was a, an upstairs balcony and a downstairs, and the seats are, were very small. You had to have a very small tush <laughs> to sit in those seats, and you were very close to your neighbor. And it was a beautiful theater, and um, and so um, so it was very easy for those terrorists to kill um, the many, the high numbers of people that they killed because of everybody being so close together and really being no escape because they came in through the front doors. So, um, so anyhow, so again, I went there because I, I won an award at the Paris Book Festival. So I went to Paris and that's when I went to all the different places where the Paris attack uh, occurred and did a book signing, um, at the cafe next to, uh, the Bataclan. That's the name of the, at the, of the concert hall. And um, and so so anyway, so um, okay, so let's get to what this so this let's get to the poor woman 
who chose to be euthanized rather than uh, live with the with the memory, the traumatic memory of um, of the airport bombing. So her name is Shanti DeCourt, and as I said, she was 17 when she narrowly narrowly escaped the attack at the airport. She was psychologically scarred, physically unhurt, and um, she was euthanized a little in 2022, not long ago this year. Now, she was at the airport um, walking through the departure lounge of the airport in Zaventem in, in Brussels on March 22, 2016 with her school classmates they were going to a trip to Italy when these terrorists detonated bombs. Bombs, not a bomb. <laughs> two bombs, at least. Um, I mean, it was two bombs. It was supposed to be three. Anyhow, um, this caused her to have panic attacks and bouts of dark depression, which she had trouble emerging from. Um, her mother, Marielle, told the media, uh, quote, that day really cracked her. She never felt safe after that, unquote, quote. She didn't want to go anywhere where other people were out of fear. She also had frequent panic attacks and she never got rid of it. Now, I want to say up front that um, depression, whether it's from a, a, a terror attack or from um, loss of a boyfriend or girlfriend or um, any kind of loved one, I mean, you know, a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend or loss of a loved one, that you know, who died or any or just um, a depression that, uh, you know, comes from, it can come from anything. Depression and pen and depression, number one, and, and on a separate, um, and people who have depression, and people who have panic attacks, as well as people who have both, can be cured. We have cures for these psychiatric, well, there are cures for pretty much all psychiatric problems except for schizophrenia and bipolar, which can be managed just like diabetes. But there are, there are cures for depression, cures for panic attacks. So this story is particularly tragic, not just because she was at the airport when there were these explosions, but because she didn't get cured, um, she wrote a. Uh, on, uh, she posted lots of things, and she was this very sweet-looking girl. She, you know, I mean, she. Anyway, so she wrote this poem, or and she that she posted, and um, let's see, she posted it. Um. Not long before she was euthanized, um, and she wrote, "J'ai ri, j'ai ri, et j'ai pleuré jusqu'au tout dernier jour. I laughed and I cried up till the last day. J'ai aimé et j'ai eu le droit de ressentir. I loved and I had the right to my feelings." la veritable amour. That's uh, and I had the right. I was like was able to feel that which was the the true love. Les larmes de l'amour coulent, the tears of love uh, fall doucement sur mon visage, softly on my face. 
Je vais maintenant partir en paix. I'm now going to leave in peace. Sachez que vous me manquez déjà. Know that you, that I miss you already. You know, someone who could write a poem like that, he'll ask to be euthanized. Um, so she frequently recalls her experiences about being, you know, in the airport at the time of the attack on social media. She spoke about her struggles dealing with her declining mental health. Now, here's the key. Here's the cl- a clue to um, why, why I say she did not get good treatment. Um, good psychiatric treatment. She wrote on a post, quote, I get a few medications for breakfast and up to 11 antidepressants a day. Now, you do not have to give someone, no matter how depressed they are, up to 11 antidepressants. Most depression can be cured by one or two. So what this shows, and this is what's happening in America as well, and this is why I say American psychiatry is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, what happens is in America, and I guess maybe the same thing is happening in Belgium, that um, in America, most psychiatrists have become pill pushers, have stopped doing therapy, have left the therapy to psychologists and social workers and marriage and family counselors, because insurance companies don't pay psychiatrists enough to do therapy. They do that on purpose because they know they can pay psychologists and social workers and marriage and family therapists less money to do therapy. So it has become a two-tiered system. Now, if you go to a psychiatrist for medicine, no matter you know what pill it is or what your problem is, um, and you and they see you for 15 minutes to a half an hour, and they give you a prescription, and then give tell you to come back in a month or two or three, you are not going to get cured. And I'm not talking right now about schizophrenia or bipolar. That's a different kind of treatment. Um, but I'm talking about what she had. Um, you know, what she says, um, what she said was depression and panic attacks, and I think also it mentions uh, that she had PTSD. Um, So there are ways of treating that, and it doesn't take six years, you know, from 17 to 23. It happened when she was 17. She was euthanized when she was 23. It doesn't take six years to cure someone of that. Um, So what happens in America, I'll just go back to that, is that when someone goes to a psychiatrist and is only seen for 15 to 30 minutes, and gets a prescription, it doesn't help. And they come back, you know, in one to three months, and they're not cured, and so the psychiatrist gives them another, adds another prescription. And same thing happens again and again and again, and that's how people get, you know, up to 11 antidepressants or other kinds of medications a day. Um, you do not need that many. And in fact, you get side effects from them, and they um, counteract each other. Some medications counteract each other. So you do not get cured. Um, okay, so getting back to her post. I get a few medications for breakfast and up to 11 antidepressants a day. I couldn't live without it. With all the medications I take, I feel like a ghost. 
See, this is what happens. That can't feel anything anymore. Maybe there were other solutions than medications. Yes, yes, there was. The solution for um, PTSD and depression and panic attacks is therapy. Is um, at least three times a week intensive psychotherapy. So even in America, when people get one medication after another, they keep adding to the medications. It's, the reason it doesn't work is because the psychiatrists aren't giving them psychotherapy along with the medications. Um, and as I have mentioned, I do not do that. That is not how I was trained um, to just be a pill pusher. Besides, it would bore me to death if I was just giving out, you know, prescriptions all day. I ins insist that people who see me for treatment come at least once a week for psychotherapy, and I give them a prescription if they need a prescription, but it's the therapy that gets to the root of the problem. Um, uh, let's see. Now, her school psychologist says that she was suffering from severe depression before she opted to end her life. And the school psychologist told the media, quote, there are some students who react worse than others to traumatic events. And having interviewed her twice, get a load of this, <laughs> the school psychologist interviewed her twice. <laughs> Big deal. And that's supposed to help? I mean, I know school psychologists, Psychologists don't do treatment per se. They usually refer you out. But um, she's, you know, come to this conclusion that it's okay for her to be euthanized because she saw her twice. I can tell you that Shanti DeCourt was one of those fragile students. Um, a psychologist referred her to a psychiatric hospital in Antwerp. So that was good. Theoretically, that was good. Um, which the young woman regularly attended. Now, here's the thing. Um, she attended, so does that mean she attended outpatient treatment there, or was she hospitalized? Because she needed to be hospitalized, not just go as an outpatient. But in 2018, she tried to take her own life after a sudden decline in her mental state. Now, this, this is a very unfortunate event. Uh, a, another patient presumably at this Antwerp hospital. <laughs> now, I will put in a plug here. <laughs> um, when, when I, um, Belgium has is a kind of a divided country in terms of the language and the heritage that people um, are. So there are some people in Belgium who came originally from the Netherlands, and they speak Flemish. And then the other half of Belgium come, came from France, and they speak French. And so these two languages, you know, are, on a daily basis, um, are warring with each other. And um, and um, I went to the French, um, so like in medical school, there were two parts to it. One was the French part and one was the Flemish part. And so I was in the French part. And so <laughs> I would like to make a... Um, I, I think if she had been in a French hospital, I don't think she would have, I think she would have gotten better treatment is what I think. Uh, because, um, well, just from my experience in Belgium and, uh, and, and with people of Flemish and French, um, extraction, uh, I would like to think in any case that if she had been put in a French hospital, she would not have, um, this wouldn't have happened. So a, a patient, sexually assaulted her. So on in 2018, so 2016 was the terrorist attack, then 2018 she was assaulted at this Antwerp. Oh, Antwerp is Flemish, by the way. Most of the population of Antwerp is Flemish. 
So she was sexually assaulted at this hospital, which should never have happened. She should have been watched much more closely than any other patient, you know, having been a victim of this terror attack. And then in 2020, she made another uh, suicide attempt that was unsuccessful. And then she reached out to an organization that defends the right to death, to death in dignity. And so she asked them to perform euthanasia. She said she had unbearable psychiatric suffering. And eventually they agreed to do that. Um, now, on the positive note, a neurologist, after she was dead, or well, no, I think, no, no, no. It was before she was euthanized, before she died. He tried to stop it. Thank goodness for this neurologist. Um, he tried to stop it, but um, her mother, this is so bizarre, her mother, um, Marielle, said that she backed her daughter's choice for euthanasia, and so they went ahead with it. The neurologist called the decision premature and tried to stop it. He said that um, um, more could have been done to help her, which is absolutely true. Um, he said that, you know, she hadn't had all the different kinds of treatments that could be used for people with her problems. Um, and let's see. And Paul, <laughs> just to uh, prove what I was saying, the, the neurologist's name was Paul Deltenra, which certainly sounds like a French name to me. <laughs> and he was the one who wanted to, who tried to intervene. And, um, and said that, uh, the euthanasia shouldn't have taken place because the proposals, because other proposals for care had been made. And he said, that, again, the decision was made prematurely. And, um, and, you know, why a mother? I mean, clearly the mother did, was probably just not well enough informed. I mean, I'm sure she didn't want her daughter to die, but she was probably not well enough informed, uh, about these other um, possibilities that could have treated her daughter and cured her of her depression and panic attacks and PTSD and so on. Um, she was euthanized May 7th, which is when she wrote that last poem. Um, anyhow, only three countries in Europe approve of assisted dying. Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. So, <laughs> Ah, uh, so again, now the reason why, you know, I, I hope, I, I, you know, what concerns me besides this poor tragic woman who um, killed herself unnecessarily is that this story went all over the place and other people are going to think about, you know, are going to think, oh, well, maybe I should do that. And again, please, if you yourself are depressed or have PTSD or have any kind of psychiatric disorder, um, euthanasia is not the solution. There are, is finding a psychiatrist who does therapy as well as medication or, uh, going to a psychologist for therapy and going to a psychiatrist for medication. But the point is psychotherapy is the, is the way to get to the bottom of whatever it is that is ailing you. And as far as, uh, schizophrenia and bipolar, uh, psychotherapy is important for those people as well, but they, uh, with those disorders, you absolutely need medication. But psychotherapy helps 
too, especially. Um, well, no, especially. I mean, you can't, no, no mental illness, whatever it is, will get better or, you know, if not, um, as I was saying before, bipolar and schizophrenia doesn't get cured, but with psychotherapy and medication, you can manage it. So that's the moral of that story, as well as um, understanding better about uh, that terror attacks aren't hoaxes. Um, you just have to be careful what media you are relying upon for your news. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nets for your kids to become more resilient, Check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, the Terrorist Therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.